It can be a dangerous thing to say yes to most anything. And it's especially dangerous to say yes to God, which is where our reading starts this morning. It begins um, just a few days after Mary has been visited by an angel telling her that she's going to bear a child who's going to be the Son of God. And she asks a few questions just to make sure that the angel really knows what they're talking about. Um, And then she says, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your will, which is Bible talk for yes. And I think that after the angel left, if it were me, I would have thought, what did I just do? Right? And so a few days later, she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who also is miraculously pregnant on the news of an angel. Now we might ask, why does Mary go on a long journey to the hill country of Judea? Uh, I think in part it's to check out this story that the angel told her about her cousin Elizabeth, who was awfully old to be having a first baby, and maybe offer her some support. And also I wonder if Mary went there to find sanctuary, to spend some time in a place that was safe, a haven a place that was filled with love and nurture and not judgment. In the adult forum this morning, we did a little reader's theater about the gossipy women of Nazareth who were wondering about this um, weird pregnancy that Mary had. So yeah, at Elizabeth's, she could get away from all of that. And then I also think that she went to Elizabeth's for a quiet place, in a home of people who were observant Jews so that she could do the work that she needed to do to get herself ready emotionally and spiritually for what she had just agreed to do. I think Mary took that trip because she knew she needed a place where she could live and where she could grow, literally grow, into the fullness of what was coming to her. The promise and the terror, the joy and the excitement, and also the uncertainty of bearing this child into the world. That's what Mary sings about in this, in this radical, revolutionary song we call Magnificat. It's a joyful song. It's also a sad song that recognizes the harsh and brutal realities and inequalities of the world. It's a protest song that promises that God is not going to leave things this way forever. Mary sings of a time when all that opposes God's good purposes of peace will be thwarted. A time when the lowly will be lifted up and the proud will be humbled. A time when the hungry will be filled with good things and those who are already full of themselves will be made to see their true emptiness. A time when the weak will have strength and the powerful will have mercy. I noticed that Mary didn't, she didn't sing this song right after the angel talked to her. 
She doesn't sing this song until she's welcomed into Elizabeth's house. It's Elizabeth's greeting, I think, that brought Mary to an appreciation of the fullness of what was about to come, the joy and the suffering, the good that God was promising, even in the midst of what was going to be a really hard journey for them all. It's because Mary's in a sanctuary, because she's in a safe place, that she finds the vision and the words to sing this song about what is and what's to come, even if she doesn't know all the details yet. She does know the most important details, that God has found favor with her, and that through her willingness, God is going to change the world. And she has good people around her to help to support her through whatever's going to come. And she's going to need that support from those people who love her, Because saying yes to God is only the beginning of a dangerous and wonderful journey. The moment of saying yes, the moment of the the big decision is is what gets all the attention, of course. It's it's the dramatic part. Uh, saying, Saying yes to a marriage proposal. It's big news. We get millions of YouTube videos showing those. Uh, but the marriage is still to come. The marriage is still <laughs> to come. We don't get the videos on that. Uh, deciding, really finally deciding that this is the day, this is the hour that I stay sober. Uh, making a big life decision that, that changes everything. Though There's always a story that leads up to that dramatic moment. And... That yes is important. But then there's also the rest of the story that comes. The part that doesn't always get videotaped. The part that doesn't always make the news. There's the end of one part of the story. There's an amazing yes. And then there's always lots more ahead. So when Mary says yes to Gabriel, she obviously says yes to nine months of being pregnant before she has this baby. She's also saying yes to the journey of once the baby's born, raising this child up to be a gentle and strong and faithful man. And once he became a man, then it's the journey of being the parent of an adult, which those of you who are parents know that the parenting doesn't stop just because you don't have kids in the house. And so, of course, in Jesus' adulthood, Mary rejoiced in his joys and was grief-stricken in his tragedies. All of these journeys are what her yes is leading to, and to do them well, she's going to need to be grounded in faith, grounded in God, and grounded in the people around her. That's what she found in Elizabeth. And Zechariah. And Zechariah even though he was pretty quiet for nine months. (laughs) But sometimes having quiet friends is the best thing. That's true. Because it's a dangerous thing to say yes. Saying yes makes us vulnerable to whatever's coming. Saying yes makes us vulnerable to the one we said yes to, to each other, We're saying yes to a newborn, to a lover, to friends. And it's even more vulnerable 
when the one to whom we say yes is God. We hate being vulnerable. Everyone does. Especially if we, like a lot of us, are generally comfortable and self-sufficient. Thank you very much. If we don't have to do vulnerable very often, we don't get a lot of practice. And so we're really uncomfortable when the opportunity shows up. The thing is, and I rest on the work of Brene Brown, who's done a lot of work on shame and resilience. The most resilient people in her studies are the people who are willing to be vulnerable. She's done study after study about this. And people have all different approaches to do that. Some folks are willing to be vulnerable grudgingly. Some folks, Brene Brown counts herself among them, run away from vulnerability like the plague. Nobody likes being vulnerable. But folk also can come to realize that vulnerability is necessary. It's part of what makes life real and rich. It just is. Vulnerability just is. Kind of like gravity. Uh, arguing with the essential importance of vulnerability in our lives is like arguing with gravity. Uh, you can, but good luck with that. Uh, you, it can end you up in the doctor's office. <laughs> Let me tell you about that. Uh, you don't have to like gravity, but arguing with it usually doesn't work out very well. We have to learn to live with it. And you can do some amazing things working with gravity. When you fly in an airplane... You aren't defying gravity, uh, or you aren't denying it or ignoring it, uh, but you are working with gravity, or at least the wonderful aerospace engineers who helped design the airplane, and the pilots and everybody else involved have learned how to work with gravity to bring you where you want to go on the other side of the journey. Sorry about the engineering metaphor there. I do that a lot. But vulnerability is like that. We have to be willing to do what it takes to work with it, to embrace it even, so that we can get to the promise on the other side. It takes perseverance and courage, and hardest of all, it takes an openness to look like we don't have our stuff all together, that we might fail in front of people. So this fall, I uh, enrolled in a pottery class at Harvard in Cabot Hall <clears throat> with about, oh, maybe a dozen other students, mostly Harvard seniors. Like I other was, students? <laughs> well, a dozen students, uh, mostly uh, seniors at Harvard. Um, and I will, I'll always remember, I think, the, it was a 10-week class, and on the fourth week, one of the young women said to the instructor, I can't do this well. I, I, I'm just not good at this. And Katie, the instructor, said to her, well, have you, have you ever thrown pots before? We were throwing pots on a wheel. And she said, no, I never have. And Katie said, so in three weeks you didn't get perfect at it? <laughs> and she said, no. And she clearly thought that meant that she'd failed. Katie said, I've been doing this for decades. Keep practicing. It'll get better. And as I listened to this interchange, I thought... This young woman is one of those amazingly talented and gifted people 
And I had the sense that maybe this was the first time she had done something three or four times and it hadn't just worked for her. The vulnerability of being not great at it right away was hard. That's what we need to be able to do. And what I loved about Katie was that she created such a a guilt and shame-free pottery class. When something didn't go well, she'd say, well, that's ceramics, with a partly joy and partly acknowledging the frustration of what didn't work. And under her tutelage, A, we got better at throwing pots. I have some interesting, not beautiful, pots in my house. They're gorgeous. <laughs> um, we also they're really heavy, but they're gorgeous. <laughs> I'll get better. Um, we also got really good at celebrating each other's successes. And also that moment when you're, ma- you're, you're making a pot and it's going so well and it's going so well and then all of a sudden it's not going well at all. We celebrated and we shared in each other's frustrations. It was all a tangle. And to do it well, you had to embrace the joy and the frustration. And it ended up being a blast. And it's leaning into that fullness of the experience, knowing full well it's not going to all go well, but also not letting the things that don't go well keep you from enjoying what does go well. That is sanctuary. We became sanctuary for each other in that class, a muddy sanctuary. Elizabeth and Mary were sanctuary for each other. And all of us are sanctuary for each other. Those of us here in person and those of us online are sanctuary for each other in this time of Advent. We need to be sanctuary for each other. Let's face it, um, in a third season of COVID, this is not the way we wanted to do Christmas. Uh, It's better than a year ago, where we couldn't even gather in the sanctuary. But this is not going to be the the joyful celebration marking the end of the pandemic, uh, or even the taming of the pandemic as the Omicron variant is uh, emerging and case numbers are rising again, we are feeling our vulnerability and our mortality once again. Uh, we're trying to make the changes we need to to make, to make it safe as possible for what's before us. Uh, and so as you all know, our Christmas breakfast canceled. Coffee hour? Unholed. January Harvard in-person classes, canceled. Even the rest of the Bruins games for this season are canceled. What's the deal with that? These are hockey players, man. But Christmas isn't canceled. Christmas comes right into the midst of all of this, all of our hopes, all of our disappointments. And like every year, this Christmas is God's invitation to us to bear God's ways into the world, to give birth in us, in our hearts, in our lives, to who God has created us to be in the world. This Christmas is an invitation for us to find sanctuary in God's love, invites us to find sanctuary here in this congregation, invites us to find sanctuary in our own relationships with God, in our own prayer, in our own spiritual life. And in the midst of that, to embrace life in all of its fullness, the joys and the sorrows, the promise and the longing. 
the disappointment and the hope. For us to be like Mary, for us to say yes to God's invitation, for us to add our voices to Mary's voice and to the millions and millions of others who yearn for love to be incarnated in our lives, we're going to need a place of sanctuary. We might find sanctuary in Mary's story. We find sanctuary in our own quiet moments of reflection and prayer. We find sanctuary in each other's companionship, in person or online, as we journey together on this path of faith. We, together, make sanctuary for and with one another. And so together with Mary and Elizabeth, together with each other, together with God, we invite you to embrace the fullness of Christmas, knowing that it's joy and it's vulnerability. We come to the manger knowing that the story of the manger leads to a cross. And we come to the cross knowing that the cross leads to an empty tomb. God's invitation, God's promise, God's life once again, we come embracing all of that. And as we do, we become a holy sanctuary for each other and for the world. Amen. Our next hymn is In the Bleak Midwinter, number 221. Can you join us?